Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth you shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray. Father, would you help us this morning? to have eyes to see and ears to hear exactly what it is that is happening right here. Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand your word just as Jesus says you would do? Would you guide us and would you comfort us? Would you convict us and would you lead us to repentance? Help us this morning to set our mind on the things of God. Amen. There are times in life when a person goes under the radar and then bursts on the scene like an explosion. In the 21st century, what do we call this? We call this going viral. Don't we? This is what it's called. If you didn't know, now you know. An unknown person becomes known for something that they've done. Hopefully, it's something good and not some sort of massive failure. Things like a person posts a low-quality music video on YouTube and within 24 hours, millions listen to it. Or an athlete breaks a record and it's posted on Facebook and people share it. Normally, if the thing that goes viral is massive, what happens is people become interested in that person. People want to understand this person a little bit better. They want a fuller picture of the person. They really want to know who they are. So they get invited to share their story and explain who they are. We see these people who've gone viral sit down on 
TV interviews or radio interviews or sit down for a podcast. And what everyone really wants to know is just a little bit more of who this person is. This is what's happening to Jesus. Jesus has gone viral. And everyone wants to know who this man is. The great thought leaders, ordinary people, his disciples, even his family. They were constantly wondering to themselves, who is this man, Jesus? They were making assumptions about who he was, sometimes right, mostly wrong. And it can be said that 2,000 years later, Jesus is still viral. And people are still wondering who he is. The great thought leaders of our day. Children, students, CEOs, factory workers. They are still asking this question, who is Jesus? So I have one question for us this morning that's just as relevant in the 21st century as it was in the first century, that I want you to think about this morning through this sermon. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? We're going to see this question unfold for us this morning in three ways. First, There's a growing interest in Jesus. Second, there's greater clarity in Jesus. And third, Jesus is still a bit out of focus. So let's look at one. There's a growing interest taking place. Jesus, he knew that there was a growing interest in who he was. That's why after he refused to give the Pharisees and Sadducees a sign and He warns his disciples about their teaching. He takes the disciples on a little field trip to Caesarea Philippi. From when Jesus and his disciples get off the boat, in verse 5, to Caesarea Philippi, uh, this was was just a light 25-mile walk for Jesus and the disciples. They find themselves in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, it was once a city that was named and filled with monuments, statues, temples to primarily the forest god, but sprinkled in there were other gods as well, is now named Caesarea Philippi after Augustus Caesar and Herod Philip. Caesarea Philippi, two of the great kind of great leaders of the first century, rulers of the first century, we could say. So the scene that Matthew is setting for us this morning, as we're looking at this, it's like a rival going and giving an interview. Think of your greatest rival. Now, I know we're Christians, so we're not supposed to have rivals But think of your greatest rival. 
setting up shop on your front porch to give an interview about themselves. Matthew, he's setting the stage for us to be amazed at Peter's answer as these two questions that Jesus is about to ask, who do people say I am, who do you say I am, the context is in the middle of a city dedicated to gods and goddesses, named after the great rulers of the day. And so here we have the question that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus, he's aware that he's gone viral. He's aware of his growing popularity. And everyone is trying to understand him. He's an enigma. For 2,000 years, this has been the highly debated conversation. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? Who does Jesus say Jesus is? From stages in front of thousands to kitchen tables to street corners to prisons, people have been asking this question, who is Jesus? Friends, who do you say Jesus is? Have you come to an understanding? Have you come to an answer? Has this been solidified in your heart and mind? Jesus asks this question, and the disciples have a list ready for Jesus. Imagine John pulling out some type of scroll and going through and then saying, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Here it is, it's the list. Who do the people say that I am? In this city full of gods, named after these great rulers. The disciples give their list. But do you know what's interesting about this list? Is that this list isn't a full list. Because this isn't just what the people were saying about who Jesus was. Matthew 12, we see who the Pharisees really thought Jesus was. Beelzebul, Satan, a liar. In the Gospel according to Mark in chapter 3, we see that Jesus' brothers thought that he was out of his mind. They thought he was a lunatic. They thought he was mentally ill. And yet there were others who were calling him John the Baptist or a prophet. You see, all people knew was that Jesus was preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God with authority that the Pharisees looked at and were amazed. And that Jesus was doing signs and wonders where people were leaving changed. But as far as who Jesus was, as far as Jesus' identity, that remained a mystery to the people. Not once has Jesus disclosed who he was to people. 
And the people wanted to know who he was. They were interested in this person who's gone viral, in this phenom. So the people started talking. He's John the Baptist. He's Elijah. He's Jeremiah. He's a prophet. He's the devil. He's a lunatic. Do you have this question settled? You see, what the people were really saying is that Jesus was either a great moral teacher, a prophet, a madman, or a liar. Up to this point, that's what the people were saying. And that's a lot how Jesus is still looked at today in the 21st century. He's just merely a good moral teacher. But Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins, so he couldn't just be a good moral teacher. Well, he's just a prophet. Well, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, so he couldn't just be a prophet. In 1942, during World War II, C.S. Lewis gave a series of radio talks. And in one of those radio talks, he popularized the idea that because Jesus made outrageous claims like being one with God or being able to forgive sins, he was one of three things. He was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was a lord. Jesus was either a liar, like the Pharisees and Sadducees believed, and he was fooling everyone from then to now, or he's a lunatic, equivalent to a man, as C.S. Lewis says, believing that he's a poached egg. Or, he's the Lord. And that over time, others started to understand who he was as well. As we move on to seeing with greater clarity, we see that over, dis- over time, the disciples, they-, they started gaining greater clarity on who Jesus is. And this is what we see in this next point. We see a bomb going off. We see a watershed moment for Peter. Now Jesus, he asks the same exact question, but he makes it more personal. He goes from who do they say I am to now pointing at them, and he said to to them, but who do you say that I am? This is one of the most important questions that we could ever answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, Jesus, he's not testing them as if they're taking a theology quiz. He's interested in seeing if they are growing in clarity in who he is. And we see that on behalf of the disciples, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is incredible. Not too long ago in Matthew 14, the disciples looked at Jesus just as merely the Son of God. 
As Jesus calmed the storm, their eyes were still a bit blind of what was really going on here, and all they could give him was the title of Son of God. But now what Peter is realizing is that he is the long-awaited king. That Jesus is the Christ who has been prophesied about. What Peter is is saying most likely without fully realizing it is that Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment that we need. He is the offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. He is the offspring of Abraham who would be a blessing to the nations. He is the better one Moses pointed to and, and he is the offspring of David whom God would establish a forever kingdom through. And Peter is realizing this right now. Who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you are the king. For the disciples, this is a nuclear bomb going off. What Peter has just done is he has elevated Jesus above Augustus Caesar, above Herod Philip, and above any pagan god that they they may have looked at walking through Caesarea Philippi. Peter is saying that Jesus, he is greater and more superior than any ruler or handcrafted God. Is this the Jesus you know? King? Is this the Jesus you have surrendered to? Is this the Jesus, your king, who you look at as a far higher ruler than any ruler here on earth, is Jesus your king more than any earthly ruler that is for you or against you? Is Jesus your king more than any handcrafted good that your heart could desire? More than that bonus that you got for Christmas coming up? The car, the house, the fun toys, that new phone. This is a transition in the gospel according to Matthew. Because of this watershed moment, Jesus responds to Peter with excitement and with a promise. Let's read on. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. How the angels must have been rejoicing along with Jesus over this moment that Peter says, you are the Christ. Peter gets it. And Jesus blesses him and tells him that the Father has revealed this to him. This isn't something that Peter came up with on his own. 
Peter didn't reason this answer on his own. The seed of the gospel landed on Peter's good soil, his heart, and in time the Father showed Peter who Jesus is. Friends, maybe you're here this morning and you're discouraged in your evangelism. You've been sharing the gospel to your kids, to your parents, to your spouse, to your friends. And it just doesn't seem like they're getting it. Wait on God. Wait on God. Here Peter and the disciples have been with Jesus for at least a couple of years. And they're finally just starting to get it. Flesh and blood doesn't reveal who Jesus is to people. God reveals to people who Jesus is. Keep planting, keep watering. Keep explaining to people who Jesus is. As we go on, we see something strange then happen. It's like what happens is Jesus takes out his keychain and he takes off the master key and he tells Peter, Here, Peter, here's the master key to the kingdom. seems a little strange and there's uh, quite a bit of debate about what's going on here the play on words with peter and rock what this means for peter to be able to have this type of authority so what exactly are these keys for Well, Jesus, he tells us, if we follow the logic of what's going on here, he says the keys are to the church. The church that Jesus builds. The church that Jesus said he's going to build based off of the confession Peter has made. The confession that Jesus is the Christ. I love how these interactions with Jesus play into some of the other letters that the apostles write. Because as Jesus tells Peter, on this rock I will build my church, Peter picks up this idea of rocks and stones in 1 Peter. As he's writing to the believers in 1 Peter Chapter 2, 4 through 8, he talks about the church being living stones. Peter, he's, he's calling the church to understand and know that upon confession in Jesus, you're not brought into an only child family. One stone does not make a temple. But upon confession and faith in Jesus, you're brought into the family of God. This is the the church's confession. 
that Jesus is the Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Look, if this is not the church's confession that Jesus Christ is the king, then it's not a church. At best, it's a social club that meets to have juice and bread once in a while. Who do you say Jesus is? If it's not the Christ, if it's not the King, then it doesn't matter if you attend church. It doesn't matter how long you've been attending church. It doesn't matter if you give to the church and give abundantly to the church. Or, or if you serve in the church and you've been serving for years and years and years. Sadly and tragically, if Jesus is not the Christ to you, if he's not the King to you, then you are not a part of the church. These keys haven't been given to you. Who do you say that Jesus is? You see, wouldn't it be great if this is just where it stopped? Leaving on this high, momentous praise. You got it, Peter. Way to go. But the conversation doesn't stop here. And we see that just as quickly as there's greater clarity on who Jesus is, Jesus is still out of focus for the disciples. And we're left hanging in the balance a bit. Saying, Peter, you've got it. And then we see that Peter doesn't really have it. This is what our third point shows us. That although there's greater clarity taking place, the picture of who Jesus is is still out of focus. We see Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And then what he does for the disciples is he starts to teach them and bring into a clearer picture what must happen to him. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised. This right here is what the king must do. So Jesus tells Peter, here are the keys to the kingdom, Peter. And then he tells them, well, I must suffer. But this is what the king has come to do. He has come to be, just as Isaiah depicts for us, the suffering servant. It is only through Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection that he will make all things right for us. That he will bring the long-awaited reconciliation that our hearts cry out for. This is the way. The king, he must suffer. He must die. But he must raise again. He becomes the perfect sacrifice for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God through King Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection. When we trust in him, our debt of sin is cleared. It's forgiven, all of it. It's wiped away. Not one ounce of sin, 
still lingers over your head. Not one ounce of God's judgment and wrath is over you. When we trust in Christ, we are made right with God. But we see that this isn't made fully clear in Peter's mind and heart yet. As Peter just calls Jesus the Christ, Peter just calls Jesus the King, Peter then takes the King and rebukes the king as if the king didn't know better. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And how does Jesus respond? He, he no longer is rejoicing, but instead he's rebuking Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter is the man of the moment. Peter receives the golden star to now crashing like a falling star. Why does this happen to Peter? It's the same reason why it still happens to you and I. Peter's mind was not set on the things of God. He was distracted. He had started setting his mind on the things of man. Peter goes from thinking, I'm the right-hand man. I've been given the keys to the kingdom. I mean, maybe even Peter was starting to think, you know, I'm a lot like Joseph. Second to Pharaoh. I am second to Jesus. The keys have been given to me. To then he hears how Jesus is going to die and the king will die. And what that means is that Peter is going to lose out on all the great benefits that comes with being the king's right-hand man. Peter is still thinking about Jesus as being the Christ in an earthly way. Not an eternal way. How often are you caught up in a relationship with Christ like this? You treat him as king when it benefits you, and it benefits your earthly gain. We're all tempted to this. It shows up in our timing of prayers. You know those seasons, don't you? When things are going hard, then you come to Jesus, and as soon as things start to go well, then your prayer life is non-existent. It shows up in the timing of our, the things that we pray for. 
It shows up in what we give up and what we hang on to. So who do you say that Jesus is? The king? I believe this is the only right answer that we can give. I believe it's the only true answer we can give. However, we are tempted to look away and we then set our minds on the things that are in front of us, temporal things, things that fade, things that rust, things that moths can eat. So before I close, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to to set your mind on God. Do you want this question settled in your mind? Do you want it settled in your heart? Then set your mind on God. This was Peter's great fault. We can learn this from Peter. Peter took his mind off God. Look, despite popular belief, the Christian faith is not a mindless faith. The scriptures are constantly telling us to engage God with our minds, to renew our minds, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Jesus right here is rebuking Peter for not setting his mind on the things of God. Do you want to settle this question of who God is? then set your mind on the things of God. A while ago, I read a biography about a man named Francis Schaeffer, and this was his advice to people who were coming to seek him out. Francis Schaeffer was a theologian and philosopher during the hippie movement, and so a bunch of hippies would find him in Switzerland and ask him questions and He would have people stay over in his house to get off of drugs and just, I mean, his life just sounds like a lot of fun. And what he would tell people is, if you want to have this question settled, who is God, then come to scripture and honestly read it and start setting your mind on God. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word and we see this great confession by Peter and this great failure by Peter, we can't help but relate to Peter. Would you help us to set our mind on the things of God, that Jesus is the Christ? Holy Spirit, reveal to us the magnitude of what's going on here so that we too may be able to worship and sing and say and pray that Jesus is the Christ.